Hey guys, this is Beth. And this is Jeff. And welcome to your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. Today, we're continuing our series on parenting and the Enneagram with two very special guests, our adult children, Nate and Libby. That's right. So Nate's a six and Libby's a two. And we've spent some time with them talking about what it's like to grow up in our home, uh, both as pastor kids as well as Enneagram kids, Um, what that meant for them, how they ended up finding their type and what that's meant for their relationships as they've gotten older. And as always, we pray that our podcast will help you to see yourself with astonishing clarity, break free from unhealthy patterns, and find rest in the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. All right, let's hear from Nate and Libby. Okay, so guys, we are uh, sitting at the table with uh, Nate and Libby, uh, our two children. So Libby, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Libby. I am 19 years old, almost 20 this summer. And I'm their second child. <laughs> second <laughs> child, that's right. And what's your Enneagram type? Oh, I'm a two, uh, more so one wing than a three wing. Yeah. So Libby is actually uh, preparing to move out of the house this next week. And so Beth and I are going to become empty nesters. So you're hey, pretty excited yeah. about moving out. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. Um, I mean, we have a really good dynamic as like kids and parents. And so it's not so much wanting to get away from y'all, but excited to start that part of my life and be closer to all my friends and college and all that. That's right. So Libby's going to be transferring to Treveca as a junior. Yes. History major. History major with the hopes of becoming? Uh, Teaching more on biblical studies, hopefully going to seminary and getting a master's in biblical and theological studies. Coolio. So, and then uh, Nate's also here. So, Nate? Yeah, my name's Nate. Uh, I'm 21 years old. Um, I'm going to be a senior at Tennessee Tech University. Um, I'm a type 6, a social 6, with a pretty big 7 wing and a small (laughs) 5 (laughs) wing. It's just a little guy. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, what, what what are your hopes for after college? Yeah, so I want to go into full-time ministry as a campus minister. Um, In college, I joined a ministry called Campus Outreach, um, which focuses largely on evangelism and discipleship. And so the hope is is that I would go on staff with them uh, after next school year. Cool. Well, Beth and I learned about the Enneagram in 2001, mm-hmm. uh, and so Nate was born in 98, Libby uh, was born in 2000, and so they grew up in this murky murk of Enneagram parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when you first found out about the Enneagram, the first thing was personal insight, mm-hmm. but then it also started to give you insight in parenting. Yeah, well, especially on how either I was parenting or how you were parenting and the miscommunication that we would have there. And then, of course, it always evolves to, I wonder what my kids are, you know, and how can I best love them, care for them from their vantage point of life. But that's tricky because you can't type your kids. That's right. And a lot of parents are like, oh, but I can. Like, I know they're this type. Well, we have our own story with that, which we'll get into. Um, But there's so many layers to the Enneagram. One may appear a certain way, but they're not necessarily that. For instance, like for you, you thought you were an eight for quite a long time. And then you realized, oh, wait, no, I'm actually a six. You on the outside can appear like an eight, but really internally, the core motivations are of the six. So just to kind of reiterate, we kind of covered this in the first episode, but we really can't type our kids and we can be curious and get to know them and try to love them the best we can from the knowledge that we do have while trusting the Lord um, with them. But also the biggest thing is working on our own heart. Now, I I do want to mention this, and this is going to be really, really important. Um, We are not parenting heroes. (laughs) So this podcast is not, this particular episode is not about how the Enneagram made us the perfect family with the perfect kids. That is not the goal here. Uh, Getting to this podcast and hitting record maybe the third time. (laughs) We do our dynamics. That's right. Because we're four different people, and we have four different ways of doing it and seeing it, and we hit each other's buttons. That's part of life. That's part of family. But it's, are we all willing to learn and grow together? So I I hope that, um, you know, I I think of Paul's language that um, 
follow me as I follow Christ. But the trajectory of Paul's life was he was recognizing how much of Christ's forgiveness and mercy was extended to him as he grew. So follow him as he's becoming less and Christ is becoming more. And what we want to invite you into is that the dynamics around your Enneagram type and relationships in your family, there's an opportunity for you to connect both in your strengths as well as your liabilities. And so we're going to invite our kids to talk to us about our parenting. Um, That may be different for you. I'm sure most of us never experienced that with our parents, but um, that is one of the things that benefits of knowing the Enneagram and being comfortable with allowing your children to speak into your life. Well, and doing it from a gospel-centered perspective, because there are plenty of things our kids and you could say about me that have been hurtful to you all. Um, And that is really hard for me to see and accept at the same time because of what Christ has done on my behalf not only removing my sins, but giving me his righteousness, I can rest in that as people need to reveal some of my weaknesses or things that have harmed them. And so we can press into some of these uncomfortable conversations, knowing that all is well and all is complete through Christ. That's right. All righty, Nate and Libby, here we go. Um, The first question that we have is, um, what was... what? What's the best part about growing up with parents who know the Enneagram? Um... I think parents who not only know what you why you're doing what you're doing in a better way, but care to understand that. Um, yeah. Parents who care to like study. You know, my mom may get annoyed that I make the kitchen messy when I'm baking things for friends, but she knows why I can't just go to the store and buy something. And you just went right into it, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, it's a dynamic that we definitely have. Because the nine is like, can we just buy it? Like, yeah. it's simple, oh. it's easy. And Libby's like, why? That's a death to me. <laughs> I'm like, I might as well just like bring them the nastiest thing on earth. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing in my heart. But one of the funny things about it is that twos... Uh, to other people. They're very servant-oriented, very Mm -hmm. generous with their time. But Libby has a tendency to just kind of presume upon us, like, yeah, I did this for other people, now you get to clean it up. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, I'm just resting at home. I don't need to serve you guys as much. (laughs) So like to have a family that calls that out and helps me grow um, as an adult and is able to say, like, we understand why you do it. So the uncomfortableness for my mom, she can grow in that, but she can also say, okay, but you also need to learn how to serve everyone equally and not just your friends, but also serve your family. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, what do you think? What do you think has been the one benefit of growing up with parents who know the Enneagram? Yeah, I I really think that um, the, the Enneagram just really helps with communication. Um, as much as we can get in our dynamics and communicate poorly, um, we do have the tools and, um, and can use it to communicate well with one another and clearly and to understand where each other are coming from, even if we don't typically have the same thought process. <laughs> Well, that was our dog. That's Sky. So she's in the room with us because we're all here together. <laughs> she's saying her own. <laughs> That's her right. Own. Hey, what about I me? have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So now I want to do the reverse uh, or the other side of the coin. What's been kind of the the least beneficial or kind of one of the frustrating or annoyances of growing up with parents who know about the Enneagram? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. 
Join today. I don't know. Like, I can't think of too many things that have been bad about the Enneagram. I think more so the fact that our family is so internal in terms of knowing counseling and the Enneagram. Sometimes it can get a little annoying because I'm like, can we just be service level for five seconds? Like I always tell my friends, I've never gotten grounded. I just had long chats at the dinner room table about my heart and why I was acting wrong. And just probably and the things that have happened in my childhood that have led to that. And it's like, well, you know, what if we just like take away my phone? (laughs) I know this would be more beneficial long term, but I don't really care about that right now. I just want to leave. Yeah. So, Funny. Yeah. Nate, any thoughts on your, for you? Yeah, I would just say that, um, you know, we, knowing the Enneagram and each other's types and each other's struggles, uh, it's just easy to quickly pick apart someone and to, um, to kind of lead them on to an argument. And so I think that's probably the one thing that, you know, we always talk about like, hey, don't do that. Don't, you know, call out someone's type or whatever. But the fact is, is like when you get upset with someone, that's kind of the first thing that comes out is like, hey, I know this about you. (laughs) Or maybe even using it to poke and prod. Right. Sure. Yes, absolutely. I do remember, and this is just going to be helpful for parents that are getting into the Enneagram. I do remember, and the kids may not remember this, but early on, especially when I was much more into the Enneagram than even you, Jeff, I would bring it up because I did have some clarity of what was going on. And I was the only one that was really using it out of all of us. And so I would try to bring it up to be helpful and insightful. And and I think it was, but often it could, in a sense, kind of annoy everyone that, oh, the Enneagram again, or, oh, you're talking about my six part again, or, oh, you're talking about me being a two or whatever. I think they saw the value in it overall, but I think I had to learn how to use my insights, not secretively, but I didn't have to be so overt about it. That's right. It It wasn't an Enneagram conversation, but the Enneagram was informing the questions you were asking. Right. And so I didn't have to always say, okay, Nate, let's talk about your being a six. Like I didn't, didn't have to go there. I could just say, hey, what's going on in your heart? Or how did this land on you? Or what are you seeing or perceiving? You know, I could ask curious questions kind of in the back of my mind, knowing that I kind of probably had an idea of what was going on, but I needed to ask. I needed clarification. I couldn't just name that for him or Libby. Um, And I think when I did, let's say, name them or say this is what's going on, that's probably what irritated the family the most. Like, don't tell me (laughs) what I'm doing or what I'm feeling. I think when parents ask and they get permission to hear and learn, that's when the kids feel much more safe and secure um, instead of just naming it. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go start with you, Libby. Well, what what are some insights or thoughts you can uh, speak to mom or I about being raised by a six and a nine? Which one's the best? The nine. Wow. What? <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Beth, you said that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um, trying to think. I think being having a counterphobic six as a dad, I can be a very straightforward two. Um, my eight can come out pretty quickly in healthy ways and unhealthy ways for sure. Um, and so I think having a dad that's just as intense because I have a mom that's a lot more sensitive to have someone that I can kind of like not throw punches at, but kind of like spar. Yeah. Spar. Like we're not actually fighting, but you're, you kind of have taught me how to use my intensity in a helpful way. So let's just, pause for a moment on that one dynamic because this is super important Libby and I will have these sparring (laughs) conversations and then somebody else (laughs) freaks out we won't name but like they're a nine and they're also the mother of the household (laughs) (laughs) we won't name her (laughs) we won't say the name so which is really interesting because beth or libby and i i I also call libby beth um, it's gonna happen multiple times during this podcast (laughs) so but libby and i will be like we won't be fighting it'll be like we'll be talking about i remember one time it was on a movie and we were debating whether or not it was about a certain social media app and just having fun laughing about it like we definitely did not think we were fighting and my mom had a huge sigh and then started getting very upset that we were fighting and i was like (laughs) 
fighting and she then got more upset that i thought we weren't fighting (laughs) and she was like it's so uncomfortable it's like a bomb's gonna explode and i was like there's no way i'm about to get frustrated at my dad like we're just having fun (laughs) how do you experience it Beth? oh man like even you talking about it right now i'm I'm out out. (laughs) that's my that's my ultimate cue to everyone yes but yeah so like and i tell people this all the time as a nine it feels like a two liter coke inside and the lid is tight on and when you guys do that dynamic it feels like the two liter coke is being shook up and all that pressure's inside and at any moment something is going to open it and it's just going to release and it's going to be mayhem and conflict and discord and we're going to lose relationship with one another and I'm you know as a nine I'm just desiring peace and harmony I'm wanting that internal pressure to calm down and 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 I have learned logically that you guys are just um sparring or having fun or debating even though I know that and like Nate says it all the time like mom like we're fine and I'm like logically I'm hearing you but everything inside me is saying something else and so I've had to learn to sometimes remove myself hopefully in a healthy way instead of just saying I'm out usually when I get to the I'm out I'm frustrated with everyone you know it's it's really interesting you say that Beth because there there are ways for Beth to leave the room Mm -hmm. that are healthy and ways that are unhealthy so now we know that she'll step out of the room in the past it might have been in protest she's Mm -hmm. upset with us but now she does it passive aggressive yeah but now she does it more (laughs) either one (laughs) but now there's um she does it for for her own good and knowing that libby and i are connecting with one another in this yeah so sometimes i'll just i'll sit there and i'll be like okay can i can i take this (laughs) and then i'm like okay they're fine they're they're just talking this is more about me right now and it's not that it's about me like I'm bad. This is how I'm hardwired. This is how it feels inside of me. I'm going to let them still be them because they're doing fine. I, I think I just need to leave. And mm-hmm. and, I'll, and I need to clarify that with you guys because there have been times where I do protest and leave and it makes everything uncomfortable. So, so I'm still learning. Yep. So, Nate, any thoughts? Yeah, I would just say um, I'll talk a little bit more about my relationship my dad later but um with my mom i think the interesting dynamic was um just how tense intense of a personality i have um and just watching her try and understand me you know as a six um just relentlessly pursuing people and loyalty and um and also just fighting justice yeah, I was say justice is huge for you even if it's Probably not actually fighting justice, <laughs> but just my own thing. So oh. where does your heart for justice show up? Well, being the social... Does, let me just as an Enneagram coach come in real quick for those that are listening. Is Nate is a social six, and that's a subtype. There's self-pres, social, and one-to-one. Nate is the social six. Jeff, you're the one-to-one six. And the social six looks the most like a type one. They want things right. They want justice. They want things, you know, people to follow the rules. And so for Nate, I know the biggest place where justice has come out. Well, that's what I was going to ask him, what his thoughts are. (laughs) There's what we think and what he thinks. Yeah. So, well, there are two two primary things, um, I guess, or maybe even three, but... Um, the number one is is referees in sports. <laughs> and everyone laughs at that because of just my history of playing sports um, and you know having a, you know a decent like high school career and stuff. But man, I would just get furious whenever I thought there was injustice against my team. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting you phrase it that way. It wasn't necessarily injustice for you, but right. it was for the team. It was or, never for me. Or injustice because it was simply wrong or unethical. Yeah. Like a type one would see, it's all about his team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was the difference. And um, growing up, for a second, we thought that I was maybe a two with a one wing or a one with a two wing, but it was very, very clear when I got into middle school that everything switched um to i'm i'm upset for my team or for the people i care about and there was some stuff directed at me that was also unjust um that i had issues with but it was primarily Mm -hmm. of 
you're hurting the people that I care about. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to stop you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was so interesting for us to observe because when you were younger, I remember, and I've said this many a times, I may have even said on the other podcast episode, is that you really did come across as a one or a two for a really long time. Right. Very helpful, very kind. You were outwardly engaging with other kids, but you definitely, because you're a huge extrovert, um, but you also had very um, strong beliefs. Right. Um and so it was really hard to kind of go, well, which one are you? And I remember one time going, hey, Nate, did you do that because it's the right thing to do or the helpful thing to do or the loyal? And you just looked at me like, yeah, all of them. Like, why are you even asking this mom? And you were like <laughs> nine or so. And I was like, oh, man, you're not helping me. Yeah. But I think that's it was it's so good to point out what you just said, because I, I see you all the time like people can mistreat you and you can handle it. You're like, that's fine. I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. But when other when people mistreat those that you care about that are on your team, that's when you really get fired up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that was the interesting dynamic between me and my mom. Uh, my dad understood it, but he also had issues with it just because he understood it. Like he knew that that was a significant way for me to grow. But it took a very long time for me to grow in that area of my life. And still I struggle with it to this day, whether it be, um, you know, whether it even be school or uh, we joke a lot about um, Wi-Fi companies. Um, Comcast. is. (laughs) Well, and and the joke is, you know, well, and it's not completely a joke for me because I do struggle (laughs) with it. But it's, you know, a lot of the times you don't see these Wi-Fi companies really trying to better themselves. Um, They just kind of are what they are and they all charge the same price so they'd never get better. And so as a six, I'm like, uh, you're like, you're not doing anything to be loyal to your customers. You know, you're letting yourself be adequate. Um, And as a six, that just really frustrates me. And and I, I would say this about that because remember that, the internet it's not about the internet itself it really is much more about the game and connecting with friends while playing or just or even thinking about everyone else who uses it of just (laughs) surely this is not just us also just the inconvenience that especially you guys working from home like you Mm -hmm. guys having to call for hours talking to them and being very frustrated and ruining your day but then of course my nine comes in and is like well let's think of all the sides like i'm sure they're working hard and they they only you know (laughs) right which totally irritates you because you're like no yeah that's where the strong belief comes in and it's like nope not budging (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna embrace that that's awesome now one of the questions that our team wanted us to ask do, do is there do you know how to play the game as kids again with your parents like do you know how to get your way like do you ask questions to me more than mom to get something or or vice versa or something well, yeah i mean i when we first were talking about some of these questions i was like i don't think i've ever pitted you guys like against each other or like been manipulative in that way because you guys weren't the type of parents to say no for the sake of saying no so like i think we just always had that trusting dynamic that you guys would say no for a good reason but with saying that um me and they just growing up one knew like you don't ask mom and dad anything before they had their coffee which was always (laughs) just a steady good choice in life um but then i think there were times when I know when my mom's overwhelmed that it's a lot easier to just ask my dad or talk to my dad about Mm -hmm. it. Um, But then there are also times where it's the exact same thing where like my dad's super overwhelmed and he's going to be more apt to saying no to things. And my mom's like, well, we could make it work. Mm -hmm. It could happen. And I mean, that happened with, with quarantine and moving out and transferring schools all at the same time. Like, I mean, we look at the economy and we're like, is this a good idea to start paying rent on a house in Nashville? Um, And my mom was like, no, I think we're going to be fine. We can make it happen. And my dad as a six wants to get small and be like, no, we want to lose as little as possible. And, (laughs) and so like, I knew who to talk to, who could talk to the other parent and be like, I think we're going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it ended up working. That's awesome. But somebody's going to be right. (laughs) Great. Nate, do you have any, thoughts about that not really i probably did more of that kind of stuff as a little kid but i think when i grew up i I don't think i ever really thought about i gotta talk to this specific person about this thing because i can get my way i don't i don't really know if that ever happened well now let's move into when about 
ideas around you finding your type. Now, um, when did you develop an interest? Let's start with Nate. Nate, when did you develop an interest in maybe finding your type? Or did you develop it and it was forced on you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember probably like fourth or fifth grade or so, we were debating, you know, going back and forth of, am I a two with a one wing? Am I a one with a two wing? And they made sense mm-hmm. at the time. Like, mm-hmm. I always talk about this, and this sounds weird, but uh, until I got to middle school, I was a very innocent kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just, like, the nicest kid. Um, I didn't really, like, say anything mean or, like, want to harm anyone or whatever. But it was really until that <laughs> middle... So, I know. So but in middle school. Right. In middle school, <laughs> middle school, it was a lot of, like, I have to defend. Yes. And yeah. so... Um, because you started seeing... Your eyes were kind of more open to the injustices. Yeah, The bullying sure. or the harming from... Whether it's teachers to kids or kids to kids, etc. For sure. Yeah. And... Um, and so, I would say I was mildly interested um, in finding my type uh, in that fourth and fifth grade period. Middle school, um, I think we really found what my type was maybe my seventh or eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. And I think when we nailed it down, I was like, yeah, this is me. Mm-hmm. And I really took that as, you know, just part of my identity of, okay, now I understand who I am and what I do Mm -hmm. um, and why I do what I do. And it made a lot of my struggles within middle school a lot more clear. Mm -hmm. Libby, what about you? When did you develop an interest? Um, I think it was probably around like when I was 13, 14-ish. When we actually found what my type was, I think I was like, oh yeah. And then just like Nate said, I think, and this is why... You took an assessment. Yes. And, you know, I was kind of leaning thinking you were a little bit more like me. Yeah, a nine, a which nine. made a lot Maybe of sense. Maybe a two. Yeah. But then the scores came out as a pretty strong two. Yeah. And I was like, really? And like you were, I remember we took it and you were surprised. And the first thing I noticed was, I think it was the Enneagram Institute and they had like a collage of pictures. My favorite animal's a panda. Oh, they had that a was panda a, on there. Catherine Fowler. Yes, Catherine mm-hmm. Fowler. And I was like, they have pandas on this one. I'm definitely this type. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we've got oh, it down. I, I want to be a panda. Um, but the more I read, and then I remember the time I realized I was a two was when you were reading about twos and you were still trying to figure out if I was a two mm-hmm. um, and you know I I was like yeah no I, I really do relate to this but you know you kept asking me questions and one time you were reading about it and you said whenever you're sick do you ever exaggerate you being sick so others will start to take care of you mm-hmm. and I had never told anyone that in mm-hmm. my life that I was like when I'm sick one my body just gets like I, naturally I'm like I can't move that much it just I get very Which exhausted very common for a two yeah. because they're so emotionally spent their body yeah. It, their anxiety shows up in their body. And that's a lot of whenever I've gotten sick, a lot of it is because I've overspent myself. And so, but th- in that, I'm also hoping like, can somebody help me and like take care of me? Um, so that's, I think once I figured out that I was a two, same with Nate, I saw all the different ways that I was relating to people and a lot of really unhealthy friendships that I had had as a kid um, that led to me having to deal with that, that I was like, oh, I see why that happened and what, what how my type had to play into that and kind of felt more led to want to improve so that I could improve the relationships I was in. Well, this is why it's important for parents not to type their kids because mm-hmm. you really, the reason why I thought you were more nine-ish is because you blended mm-hmm. with me because type two children want that connection. Yeah. They want to please. And you were doing that with me as in looking more nine-ish. Mm-hmm. In your teenage years, it was very obvious because you know kids differentiate themselves from their family your two-ness came out stronger so again you having the ability with your dad to spar and do different things that a nine normally wouldn't do that started coming out more versus when you were younger you were much more let's say easygoing compliant flexible yeah. very nine-ish mm-hmm. because i think you were trying to kind of have that connection with me and so that's why i really think it's important that parents not type their Mm -hmm. kids but be curious until their kids land on it because i was even surprised and when we looked at it and as we saw you getting older it's like oh yeah you're definitely a two not a nine yeah well and we we talk about that in general just with anyone like don't type your friends yes let your friends discover their types Mm -hmm. because some people 
you know, even I was talking to a friend today of that he was talking um, and said that he was a six. Well, it's pretty clear to me that he's probably not a six, but I know that his girlfriend probably typed him. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, it was just like, well, we just need to talk about it more mm-hmm. until he understands, okay, this is what a six really is. Mm-hmm. This is what all the other types are. And then I can really discern. But with your kids, I think really what it is is using that language around the household, um, mm-hmm. asking them, you know, where they're at, but then really letting them decide, are they interested in this, uh, in the Enneagram? And if so, okay, now we can start to help you find your type mm-hmm. rather than, hey, here's your type, run with it. Yeah. yeah. So in previous episodes, we discussed how we parent according to our type. And so in some ways, um, you probably have a dad voice in your head. Mm-hmm. It's the six voice in your head. Um, how have you found, what, what's that experience like for you? I would say because we're both sixes, um, I would say our voices run pretty similar, um, almost parallel, but, uh, you know, there's the difference between, um, you know, you being counterphobic and me being a social and and in between counterphobic and phobic. And so, um, so I would say definitely you have kind of, um, kind of probably helped my pessimism get stronger <laughs> while the other two girls um, it's like a power up mushroom <laughs> yeah. in uh, Super Mario Brothers where which that does date me just that one comment right there but um, it, there is a sense to where you're already thinking in realistic terms not pessimistic <laughs> realistic mm-hmm. but then dad comes in with much more sophisticated mm-hmm. pessimism pessimism right. <laughs> nuance which lands pessimism. can land on you pretty heavy yeah and like kind of an example that i can think of is and this is an example of him not meaning to but he he puts the fire starter down and the the flame hits it of like maybe we're talking about the Kansas Jayhawks. We're huge Kansas Jayhawk fans. They both went there and met there, um, and we love watching their basketball team. And I idolized it as a kid, and um, that was something that I always get frustrated with refs about: is like, oh, you're harming my team, you're disloyal <laughs> to my team, and all that stuff. And he would get upset with me about being so worked up and energetic. But then every once in a while, we would start talking about it. And then his own like pessimism, even if it had been worked on, would work its way into the conversation. And then that would just light me up. And I'm just like, okay, I can take off with everything I've been thinking about, (laughs) about, you know, what I'm frustrated with about the team and how the season's going. And so um, I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to accidentally kind of uh, setting off the fire in their kids' heart. I mean, it's so true where we're trying to offer the best that we know how as according to our type to our kids, and yet it's having the opposite effect than what we desired yeah. because it it's landing on our kids. They're experiencing it differently than w- the way that we would experience it. And so, Nate, by giving me feedback and being open to feedback from my kids because of the truth of the gospel, like Jesus isn't surprised of my weaknesses. He's not surprised by my pessimi- pessimistic thinking. And so I can receive it back from Nate to know, okay, that's not helpful to my son. Even though I want it to be, uh, I've got to learn to try something different. Well, but I would even say one really shocking moment for me with Nate one day was um, we were, were driving and we we're, because I think you had talked about, because I, I, my love language is affirmation and that's not yours, Jeff. Um, and so then I was talking about it with Nate, you know, I was kind of curious how this went, you know, because Nate is a six and you're a six and, and I love to like give my kids affirmation, you know, and like spur them on because that's what I want. And Nate was like, yeah, no, I don't need that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it, it was like, how do I parent now? Like, I don't even know what to do. I have nothing to offer you. It almost, it almost felt like pampering in a sense mm. of, oh, yes. of like, if I go, so like I played 
uh, soccer and, and football were probably my best sports growing up. And if I was if I was done with a game, and let's say I played the best game of my life, I would still find it weird if you walk up to me and said, that was an amazing job, Nate. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm like, I did my job. And mm-hmm. I, I spurred my team on to that win. You know, like, it's that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. 25 years of marriage, and I'm like, Beth... Don't flatter me. Yes. <laughs> That's so true. Whenever you would have like great sermons, like you almost were like, I don't believe it when you say that I do a good job. Like I don't, I don't take it. I don't trust it. And I'm like, come on. Like I'm your daughter. Why would I lie to you? <laughs> like, Oh, you're all lying. <laughs> but, but that was really helpful for me. To get, well, one, it was shocking. And then I was kind of perplexed. Like, well, what do I do with this now? Yeah. You know, how do I love you? Well, like this is how I love. And the, but that was good for me because, Oh, I need to learn what it means to love Nate mm-hmm. in how God created him, not just the way I want to give it to him. Now, that doesn't mean how I am is wrong, but I need to make sure that I, I focus on his needs and how God created him. And that was just really surprising for me. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you're a six, and some of the things that you were offering Nate out of, out of the goodness of your heart by selling, telling mm-hmm. him all the things that could go wrong, he had already thought of all those things, yes. and it would land on him even heavier. So that's where it's great for us parents to realize like look there's no formula except for relying on jesus yes that's that's it Mm -hmm. i think it's also funny um that my uh cautiousness severe cautiousness Mm -hmm. and anxiety with driving did not come from my dad but it came from my mom because she was taught by her mom who's mm-hmm. a phobic six. Yes. <laughs> so it just came full circle. Just the sixes yes. just putting fuel to the flame. Yes. Nate is surrounded by sixes. Yes. I'm surrounded by sixes. <laughs> I'm <laughs> surrounded by sixes. <laughs> it's the worst. But we and your life is better for it. And, and the ninth yeah. That's what you guys like to say. <laughs> yes. So right. let's move now into your world. Now that you're becoming young adults, uh, how has the Enneagram helped you navigate your own relationships? It's helped a lot. Um, I think even, and kind of when we were talking about not typing people, I think the myth of like, oh, you have, the other person has to know their type for you to talk to them about the Enneagram isn't true. Um, I've had conversations with friends who don't know the Enneagram well, they don't know their number, and I don't really care to force them into it at all. I'm like, cool beans. One less person who's asking me a million questions Mm -hmm. for me to ask my mom. Um, But I've had really intense conversations with friends where they're going through something, and I remember one time sitting on the couch with a friend, and every time they would say something, I would sit there and think, you know, what the type I believed they were, how should I answer, like Mm -hmm. ask a question? And I asked them, and they were really helpful. And later, um, my friend said, like, I could tell that you were thinking of how to ask me a question. And they were really, really helpful questions. Like, I didn't even think through how I needed to, like, think about that part. So it mainly helped you to have more, a large scope of emotional intelligence. Yeah than just putting the Enneagram on your friends. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, like with moving, all of my roommates know their types. um, And so we're able to more clearly say, you know, you're doing this because, you know, I can see, oh, it's not just that it's annoying to me, but like one of my friends who's a four, when I get into like, not into conflict, but into like intense situations, again, I'm transferring schools, moving, finishing my last uh, semester of sophomore year, in quarantine um and in stress and i'm dealing with things i all emotion goes out the door and i'm just like we're just dealing with it like my eight comes out and we're like this is just facts and reality and we're dealing with it whereas one of my other roommates is a four and her emotions get heightened in it and so she becomes more um she can fantasize about things or just like wants everyone to feel connected and so instead of just thinking you're just being annoying i'm like i can see the good that she's trying to bring and she can see the good that i'm trying to bring and we can learn from each other from that Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just helpful because even if somebody doesn't know their type, I think it's more self-awareness that not everyone functions the way you function and you be, you almost have this lens of seeing everyone as an open opportunity to learn how they function Mm -hmm. instead of just presuming that everyone's a two and they would all want to do what I want to do. And they all care about what I care about, but rather, you know, when I'm making new friends wondering like, why, why do you care about this so much? Why do you care about this? Why do you do this? And being more interested in their heart than just presumptuous that this is how humans all function. That's good. Yeah. Um, 
I, I'm kind of a little bit different with most of my relationships um, in regards to the Enneagram. My mom asked me all the time, like, do you ever, like, think about, like, what type your that friend is or the other friend or whatever? Typically, I don't. Um, I've kind of taken the idea of not typing my friends so much to the point where, like, I don't typically think about it uh, unless they get into the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, a lot of what I do at college is um, I evangelize to freshmen in the dorms. And so a lot of the times I'm just helping them understand their identity and the gospel first mm-hmm. before we can even get into the conversation of the Enneagram. Mm. Um, now that I have used it with um, older friends, uh, the guy that I'll be rooming with next year um, is a six and we're going to be leading um, this summer uh, for the ministry. And so we talk about all the time about just our struggles as sixes. But I think the biggest help um, that the Enneagram has used in my relationships has been um, one with my parents, but two with Libby. Um, and I think it's I think it's gotten um, easier and yet tougher at the same time to understand Libby. The older we've gotten, mm-hmm. I think we were very uh, kind of like pretty similar growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in high school we became pretty different. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so it was, it was like, it was tough for me seeing how introverted she got <laughs> when I was so extroverted, you know, she'd be mm-hmm. like, I need like four hours t- of time to myself each night. I'm like, to do what (laughs) (laughs) that's been like all of quarantine i i'm a very i am more talkative and outgoing than my brother is but i with people yeah when i'm with people but that's that's it like when i come home i've had to tell my roommates like i'm not ignoring you i just want to be in my room you can come and say hi but like in quarantine i spend almost the entirety of the day except for meals in my room and i am thriving and having so much fun i want to mention this right now because this is really important uh and Beth covers it in our Exploring You course, and it's called the Blind Spot Path. And this is who we are when we are with those whom we trust the most, essentially family. Mm-hmm. And so it, what Libby's talking about there is like she could be very exuberant, energetic, loud, in with public, everyone with everyone else, but mm-hmm. around home, she can get very quiet, very isolated. It's very much because I, a lot of what I do is I'm in settings where I'm helping serve in ministry stuff. And so what do you do when you're in college ministry? You get loud and rambunctious and you invite new people in, you you introduce them to new people um, and you make sure that people are comfortable and having fun um, and have a place to be you know, known there. But I get extremely exhausted by that. And so then when I'm home, like, I don't need to connect with you guys 24-7. Like, I could just go to my room and see you guys at dinner time. Um, And so there's been times when, like, for me, it's a sacrifice of, like, okay, I'll do my homework in the living room. And they can come in and out of that room. And I don't Mm -hmm. have to talk to them. But, like, still by the end of the day, I'm like, okay, well, now I got to go by myself and be in my room. (laughs) And just to clarify, any type can be introvert and extrovert. Yeah. That's right. So we're not saying that twos are introvert or I mean in fact probably more twos are more extroverted mm-hmm. usually but that's just the dynamics that Nate and Libby have Nate right. is a very quiet type of person very steady but he needs to recharge with other people like if if you could be with someone even if it's just one person all day every day you would be happy yep. yeah like yep. you really struggle if you're just alone yep yeah so and again that's just that that's just the Myers-Briggs part of life a little bit different than because uh, there's a like my mom who's a six is extremely introverted mm-hmm. um but I think that's really great, Nate, that you talked about that because not only as parents, when our kids become teenagers and they differentiate themselves from their family, they also can experience that within like their siblings. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, who are you? You know. Um, but like what Jeff was saying with the blind spot path, I really would encourage for those that really want to understand their type in a deeper way and relate with their family well is to learn about the blind spot path. And this is the same direction you go in growth with those lines that are connecting to your type, but it's you actually go to the average, the unhealthy parts of that same type within your family. But you don't do that with anyone else. And we don't have the time here to go through that more. But if you get your own Exploring You course for your type, I will clearly outline that for you um, in the first coaching session. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, is there anything you guys would, because uh, the Enneagram is pretty popular with young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you would offer to young adults by way of advice or thoughts, encouragements about the Enneagram? Yeah, I um It's funny, whenever I've gone into new social situations with friends or joined new ministries, um, whenever they find out what my job is and then they ask who I work for and I then explain, I work for my mom and then the inevitable answer is, well, what does your mom do? And I'm like, well, have you heard of the Enneagram? And it's kind of like, I expect at the age that I'm at, a lot of people know it and then they freak out that your Enneagram coach is my mom. And um, I want to ask you about that a little bit later because uh, I've been a pastor for the past 20 years. And then now our kids went from being a, PK to an EK and so but I want to ask you about that a little bit later but just your thoughts for other young adults so I've known so many people who like talk to me about it or just hearing it in circles and I think my biggest advice that I tell kids because they whether they're younger or they're peers of mine is that don't use it as your identity like first and foremost your identity is a child of God and that does not include your Enneagram type I'm a two yes and that happens a lot is a lot of the groups that I'm in you know whenever you have the traditional like okay introduce yourself and it's you know I'm a I'm a sophomore history major I'm from this city I'm this type like it's you always introduce yourself with that and I in the circles I'm in and I just always encourage people like it's not your identity it's more a tool to help express to others why you are the way that you are but more so be able to grow in yourself like it's not an excuse it's not a shield you should actually see that oh I'm I'm a flawed sinful human being you know as the bible says and so therefore what does it look like for me to grow but also where do I get to impact earth you know for the kingdom of God um and like as a two like I get to serve people but you know on top of that how many times do I manipulate people to need me and to love me and to take care of me and calling those parts of me out um and so yeah I just recommend don't type people don't use it as your identity and definitely don't use it as a shield to say well i'm just a type two so i'm gonna make the kitchen messy because i need to like that's more short yes absolutely harming others with with your knowledge yeah Yeah. so nate what about you yeah um well first like libby said i would just say that the enneagram is not the gospel Mm -hmm. um first and foremost um you know the gospel really is the life death and resurrection of christ and that by faith in christ we can have a relationship with god and um, and really, what I love about the Enneagram and how we've used it, I, I love the saying that you created, um, Mom, which is uh, to know who you are and whose you are. Um, and the Enneagram really helps with that. Um, <laughs> there's been so many times where I've come back from college and I'm building new patterns, I'm experiencing new things in life, and then I come back home and all that just goes out the window. Um, and uh, I remember one time she just explained, like, hey, you want to know why, um, you know, every time that you are alone, you could never motivate yourself to, you know, practice guitar, go out and kick soccer balls or whatever, like, invest in things that I really enjoyed. And it just all related to my type mm-hmm. um, and how extroverted I was and how much I relied on people. And so... And a lot of that really was that blind spot path. Yeah, it was. It was... It, yeah, definitely. Um, but I think really what I've enjoyed about the Enneagram um, is that it constantly shows um, how intricately woven I am by my father um, how different I am than other sixes, knowing plenty of sixes in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, just very different. Um, and it's just really beautiful to be able to know uh, who I am and whose I am. And so I, I hope that this is what um, your Enneagram coach is doing for you, that all the courses, all the podcasts, all the Instagram co- Instagram content, I hope that it's all pointing you to Christ Mm. rather than to how do I just better myself as a six or as a two or as a nine? Mm -hmm. Because that's not really what this is for. This is a directional tool towards the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this last segment, um, I want to talk to you about uh, just some of the funny ways that you guys have impacted us. Mm -hmm. Now, 
we, you know, like I mentioned before, we learned about the Enneagram in 2001. And then in 2016, we faced a very difficult season uh, in 2015. And then we were at this place of what do we do next? Um, and that's when Beth created your Enneagram coach. Now, Beth and I, um, we knew we wanted to do it. It was something very dear to us, clearly. But we were a little hesitant. But our kids were not. Like, they just saw, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. You guys are going to be better than you think. Uh, tell us about your experience of when we were creating your Enneagram coach. I think I first saw my mom finally pursuing something herself and not hiding behind my dad. Um, and it was more so she was forced to have the brave voice that she had. Um, and so... And also, like, I just knew that she knew the Enneagram well. Like, it wasn't a doubt in my mind. So I was like, yeah, if people want the Enneagram stuff, then Well, and just to clarify, the forced was we, we financially needed. Yeah, financially we mm-hmm. needed yeah. it. And so I I knew that my mom was creative enough and especially good enough teacher. Now, I didn't know she was good at public speaking because she never did that until the first time she had a live event. And I, like, kept telling people, I was like, who is she up there? Like, what in the world is going on? Like, she's, like, a phenomenal public speaker. Um, but, yeah, I think... For me, it was more so that I knew that my parents were highly talented in the world of like internal, you know, situations that are going on. And my dad could bring, you know, internal family systems and counseling terminology into it. Um, And I also knew that you guys would handle with honor the combination of the gospel with the Enneagram and you wouldn't muddy the two together. Um, And so whenever you guys started it, I was like, yeah, of course it's going to go great. And then, I mean, we were talking earlier about how like me and my brother have been wanting them to do a podcast for like a year now. We're like, come on, people want to listen to you, mom. People want to hear your voice. Well, and that's, that's the thing that's been so great is that you guys know our weaknesses. Yeah. Because the nine, I think my voice doesn't matter. My presence Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. I shouldn't show up. I should just hide. Yeah. That's a common daily theme that I have to overcome. Yeah. And then Jeff being a six can be indecisive, self have self doubt. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to be loyal to all of my different teachers and <laughs> Nate is counting all the things I'm anxious about on his finger. Yeah. Um, but it, it, yeah, I was yeah. afraid of so speaking. You, you combine these two together. That's right. Now what's really cool is I think what we've seen and, and I've talked about this years ago is that when you and I stay kind of stuck in our six, nine space in a kind of an unhealthy pattern, it it doesn't really get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. But if we both meet at three where we're connected and we actually have a goal and plan and get things done, when we meet there, man, things really happen. So the threes who are listening are like, exactly. (laughs) Everybody needs to be a three and the world would be a better place. (laughs) But it has been funny because I mean, I, like I said, I've had friends who start, like I've been introduced to a lot of my friends now as like, you're Enneagram coaches. This is her daughter. Like, and I'm like, which is better being a pastor's kid or an Enneagram kid? Mm. Oh, definitely an Enneagram kid. A pastor's kid. Okay. Here's the thing. You deal with so much more expectation as a pastor's kid that really messes you up long term. (laughs) Like we've had to work through that one. Even though we tried to shield Yeah, which is the crazy thing is is. like you guys tried to shield us from that, but it's just inevitable. Um but I think it's it's just cool to see like mom was always like, Are you guys ever shocked that like people know I'm like, no, I expect them to know you if they like the Enneagram. Like of course they would go to your stuff. Like your content's the best. It looks so cute too. And they you've been a huge and that's what I love is that you guys have been our a huge are huge cheerleaders. Yes. You see our weaknesses. You know why we think the way we think and why we struggle. And just as much as we've tried to spur you guys on in your weaknesses, you have championed us the whole time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I just remember um, I, I had just started getting into um, learning about social media marketing just through like YouTube stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I'm sure everyone notices how you might be talking about some product and all of a sudden the next day you've got an Instagram ad from Amazon um, Mm -hmm. about the very thing that you were talking about and you're really freaked out. And so I started to look up that stuff. I was like, why does that happen? And I started to learn about social media marketing. Mom mom and dad were working with uh, Michael Hyde and company and, and we were just seeing, okay, what does it look like to be an entrepreneur in general? Because this was a brand new thing to us. And uh, and being in Nashville at the same time. And quickly, I my eyes opened big, and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, they could skyrocket with this thing. And here's the reason why, and I hope everyone here notices this, 
Um, the free content that your Enneagram coach gives, whether it be through podcasts, whether through Instagram, emails, whatever it is, it is top notch. Like there are plenty of fantastic entrepreneurs, business people, you name it, that give out free content, but it is not nearly as helpful and guiding um, as what your Enneagram your Enneagram coach gives mm. like just from researching so much like there, I, I was limited significantly on what I could know for free. Mm. But with YEC, man, you can really dive deep into the Enneagram before you even buy a course, which just shows how much there is to the Enneagram because mm-hmm. YEC offers so much more than just the content on Instagram and podcasts and stuff like that. Um, so I hope you guys really noticed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I really saw. And then with the podcast, it was so simple. It was like, you know, me and Libby will listen to hours of podcasts, you know, yeah. on drives and all that stuff. And we're like, you know, my dad was like, well, it's got to be like 20 minutes because people aren't going to mm-hmm. listen to something longer than that. And we're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I listen to like an hour two hour podcast yeah. for every podcast i like, literally yesterday was listening to a talk between three different people for two hours and i was like why did you guys stop talking like <laughs> i still have stuff to do like come on that's funny and i'm sure you guys right now are just like you're probably really enjoying this because mm-hmm. it's a really great behind the scenes but useful mm-hmm. podcast and man it's just like you've probably been following my mom and my dad um for years and it, you know, it's just great kind of drama and storylines that you just want to eat up. Just like with YouTubers, we loved seeing like who they were behind the camera, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. So I think, you simple. know, as we wrap this up, you know, I, what I hope that people are hearing is as we each develop a lot of emotional intelligence and an awareness, not just of our heart, but of how God pursues us in our own type and our own struggles, that there's so much freedom that you can have with your relationships. But like we said, just trying to hit record, we were in our dynamic. And we just want people to realize that we are a real family that have real struggles. We get on each other's nerves. You know, we think differently. We try to understand one another. But we need to apologize like very often. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to uh, clarify certain statements or ask clarifying questions all the time. Because naturally, our personalities will get activated quickly. And we tend to want to respond to that activation in our own way. And so I hope that people recognize that, you know, we're a family that does deeply love each other, but we also need Jesus every single day. I can remember whenever Beth and I first got married, we were uh, 20, so we were really young. And, you know, there was a a lot of tragedy in my home growing up with my mom's illness. Uh, And then they also had their own stories as well. And so when I became a Christian um, and was being discipled by somebody with the Navigators, a campus ministry, and we had to memorize Psalm 145. And one of the passages there was, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty deeds. And I had a certain expectation of what that was going to look like. I was going to be the best dad that I could. I read a lot. I tried a lot. Did as much as I could somehow to change the generational trajectory that I was handing uh, for our kids. Well, and the reality was is that God led us down a radically different path. And it wasn't about Beth and I being the successful parent, but it was about us being the faithful or the full of faith parents to trust the truth of the gospel and where we were not enough for our kids, that's okay because they were going to need to trust Jesus the same way that we do. And we're in a very sweet season now with our young adult kids. Now, I often compare it to launching a rocket. So you spend all these years building this rocket on the launch pad, and then it takes off. And it's beautiful. You love watching it leave the atmosphere. It takes a lot of fuel, though, for them to get out of the atmosphere. And we must not... Forget the fact that all that fuel burning destroys the launch pad. Which is us. (laughs) So it 
it's still bumpy as Nate and Libby find their own voice, find their own sense of who they are as people uh, while staying connected during this time. But the Enneagram is such a helpful tool for communication and understanding Mm -hmm. for us to stay connected through that. And it, um, God's promises are true. Yeah, I would say this. Um, I'm, I don't think we're going to be asked this question because um, we're running out of time. But um, I just wanted to say because um, so one of the questions was, um, you know, just like what parents could do, uh, you know, raising their kids um, with the Enneagram and, and, and stuff like that. And I remember being asked that question, I think maybe a year or two ago. Like one of our first, probably the first live event, um, one of the employees asked us this question. And all that I said was this, uh, listen to the cries of your children. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you get annoyed by your, your child complaining about the same thing over and over and over again, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's their type. Um, if, if you want to know what their core fear is and what their core motivation is, listen to the cries of your children and that'll help you direct um, them in in the gospel and in their own growth as just a person and being able to just see um, really the the core part of mm-hmm. what, they, what they're always facing in their own life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really me and Libby found in middle school and what really helped propel us into high school and really for the rest of our lives. That's great. Yeah, I think also, um, I think the reason why our family is so close and that our parents know legitimately like everything about us, you know, I'm like, I can truly tell my friends, like there's not a part of my life that my parents don't know about. Um, and that takes a lot of vulnerability and honesty, um, and hard conversations. But, at the same time, I, you guys have exemplified what grace looks like to the best of your ability in terms of being honest about how broken your past is and how broken of parents you are. Because I think if a kid doesn't see their parents admitting their own sin, then one, how do you expect a kid to repent of their own sin if you're not exemplifying it? Because they weren't in the womb being told how to repent. You're showing them what that looks like. And we've had a lot of opportunities. Yes, a repent. lot. And also, like, our family has created a safe place to healthily call you guys out and say like there have been times when i'm like all right we're gonna do this and i can't have you guys fight right now so we're gonna finish it and then you guys can do whatever you want like you can fight if you want like it's we've had times when like we can call you guys out on your own dynamic or how we all work out and um it you know it's sometimes rough and it's sometimes bumpy but that's if you you know if you believe that you are a sinful human being then what do you expect your kids to do when they're learning how to be human too you know we were kind of moving towards ending this podcast but uh you bring up i think a really good point that both of you did what was it how important was it for you to see mom and i do our own work immensely impactful Uh, and share more about that because i saw parents who were willing to admit that they made faults and also show me that it wasn't okay like if you guys got upset at me in a wrong way you guys showed me that wasn't okay what you guys did so i saw that you know if anyone else treated me that way that it wasn't okay or to find somebody that you know i want to spend the rest of my life with who's willing to point out that they have issues just as much as i have issues um and i think just having parents who are willing to admit their faults i think a lot of times i see in so many this is just true that the minute a parent gets overly upset and shames their child that draws the line where that kid is willing to open up to their parents and i've seen some of my friends that line is drawn way too soon or you know that hopefully that line isn't drawn to where they can't share but it happens very often and you guys haven't ever drawn that line to where me and nate felt like we couldn't share with you guys because you guys showed yes like the lord he does have a just anger towards sin he does have a sadness towards it and a right to want to um discipline for it but the way that you guys did it always welcomed us to be honest because i think there was one time my professor asked you know if we ever had a rebellious season or whatever and i said no i really haven't like and he was like wow it's like 
you're and I was like yeah I just I knew if my parents told me not to do something then it was for my betterment like I, I just trusted that because they had never proven me wrong about that they weren't just spiteful or annoying and um he was like wow you must have had really good parents and I was like yeah they're pretty great I like them a lot <laughs> like I'm pretty blessed but it's not because I mean like we said like I mean we got in little tiffs before we even started this it's not that our family's perfect it's that we're willing to admit that we're very 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 flawed people all in a house that are trying their best to love and serve each other Nate do you have any thoughts yeah um I would just say that you know the the fact that you guys owned up to your own mistakes it wasn't necessarily as much an enneagram thing as it was really a gospel-centered right. family um that we were committed um to one another and towards loving one another and so um you know I, i've had this sad realization but the reality of it is that a lot of the times uh we really um we really understand new things in life through mistakes. Um, and so it's not that if parents just apologize to their kid um, every time that they mess up, that the kid will never end up messing up in their life. You know, like there is plenty of things that Libby and I have done that our parents, um, you know, have maybe advised against or whatever. Um, not too extreme, but just, you know, just falling short, um, just as sinners. Um, but what we learned was, um, and this is really just my favorite verse in the Bible, which is Second Corinthians twelve nine, mm-hmm. and Paul um, is pleading to the Lord that he would take his thorn out of his side, um, and the Lord says, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness." Mm-hmm. And then Paul says, "Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly upon my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me." So, if you really want to know what the Enneagram is going to help you do, it is going to help you boast in your weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Amen. Yeah, and I think, really, to sum it up, the Enneagram is just a tool, and it's the gospel that transforms us. It's what transforms our personal life, our marriages, our families, our parenting, our co-workers, etc. And we have to come back to that all the time. And I'll just reiterate our mission statement at Your Enneagram Coach. And it's that we help people to understand themselves with astonishing clarity so that they can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. So just like Nate had said, we taught them growing up, you need to know who you are, but more importantly, you need to know whose you are. And each of us in Christ are his most beloved child. Well, we hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast and getting to know the McCords a little bit better. And until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks for listening.